You're listening to the Real Estate Runway Podcast, powered by Quattro Capital, where we are all about alternative business and investment strategies to help you amplify life and maximize wealth. Here's your host, the recovering engineer turned multifamily investor, Chad Sutton. All right, Real Estate Runway family, welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Runway podcast. I'm your host, Chad Sutton, and I'm joined with a member of my multifamily investing team, Mr. Jeremy Goodrich, who is the owner and commercial real estate advisor at Shine Insurance. Jeremy has been on the team with hundreds of investors, including myself and Team Quattro, helping us manage risk and get clarity around our insurance strategy. Jeremy, friend, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing so good, Chad. It's so exciting to be on the show with you. I love what Quattro is doing. I really appreciate your team and everybody has such a great role. And so I'm just excited to talk about how the team works, how insurance works, and just get to chat with you for a little bit. I'm really excited about it. And as the director of acquisitions at Quattro Capital, you and I tend to interface a lot because we're always sizing up new insurance policies. And I've learned that that is a, an art and a discipline and you have to have an expert on your team or you will fail. So that being said. <laughs> yeah, I think for new investors, I mean, you really do have to engage with an insurance. And this is true for all service providers, but an insurance advisor that really is there for you. And at the beginning, even I work with lots of folks who don't have any properties at all. And they're just like, hey, what's a ballpark? on this thing, you know, and that's a legitimate question to ask the person that you find in that insurance role on your team and expect them to have a decent answer for. Absolutely. Well, Jeremy, we can talk all day on insurance and we're going to, but before we do that, tell us who Jeremy Goodrich is. Tell us about Shine Insurance. Like, how did you get to where you are in the insurance world and help us get to know you a little bit real quick? Well, it won't surprise you to know that I didn't grow up wanting to be an insurance agent. I grew up and I was a teacher for 13 years. I was an elementary school teacher teacher. I taught third and fourth grade. So I taught kids how to love reading, how to love math, how to love writing, how to love hockey, which was one of my favorite things to teach and all sorts of things in between. So for 13 years of my adult life, I've been a teacher. During that time, I met my wife and business partner, Mackenzie. She's a third generation insurance agent. And long story short, the agency that she was working at, she was like, you know what? I'm not into like the culture here. It's just really not who I am. I was ready for a change from being a teacher. And we said, hey, what would happen if we took your sort of teacher style of doing things and my knowledge of insurance and started our own agency. And so we started Shine Insurance in, in 2013 with the goal of changing the way people feel about insurance, of just really being honest, being straightforward, educating enough, but not oversharing, and just trying to make uh, smart insurance simple. So that's what I've been doing for the last eight years. And it started in the home and auto world. And then I grew into single family rentals, insuring those. And now all I do is commercial commercial real estate. It's my specialty and I do it all over the country. That is the best tagline. Make smart insurance simple. Wow. <laughs> that statement covers a lot right there. So it with is, that being said, yeah, with that being said, <laughs> yeah. let's just start diving into the world of insurance. You know, maybe we'll just start with what are some common pitfalls that people fall into. Most of our listeners are passive investors in syndications. They're in my deals. They're in other people's deals. Some of them are actually doing their own deals. Let's get a crash course on what it means to be smart with insurance. Love it. I think as a passive investor, obviously you're not digging into the weeds of an insurance policy in the same way that an operator is, right? And so what you really want to know is that you trust your operators to make great decisions about the people on their team. Everything when it comes to insurance has, it starts 
with the insurance agent that you pick, the risk manager. When I look at myself, I don't see myself as an insurance agent. I see myself as a risk manager. I'm looking at, okay, what is this property? What does that mean? How can I make sure that we protect it as best we can? So for passive investors, we all know that when we're deciding on a deal, the operator is the number one most important thing that we're thinking about. It's more important than the market. It's more important than the asset. You have to believe in the operator and the business plan that they have. And I think if you believe in your operator, then you believe in them to pick a really good insurance advisor. And that may be as far as you truly need to go on the insurance side. Although I'll tell you some stories about why you want to make sure that that's the case. But really, trusting your operator is a big key, but making sure that that operator is hiring an insurance advisor that's considering the entire risk as opposed to just the cheapest price. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure there are a couple of stories that go with finding the cheapest price, but I'd love to just start with some of your stories and have story time as we go down internalizing some insurance lessons. So where should we start with that, Jeremy? So yeah, I think that the lessons are in the claims, right? I think that my job on the front end, when people are asking me, what's the cheapest price and and how can I get it super cheap? I have to think about, okay, well, what does this policy do in a claim scenario? So let me give you a couple examples. I have a client right now who owns a lot of properties, but one particular property has a commercial downstairs. It's a tattoo parlor and a couple of apartments upstairs. Tattoo was parlor was open on a Friday night. Suddenly out of nowhere, where U-Haul truck, comes through the window into tattoo parlor. No one's hurt. I don't generally tell stories that involve injuries. So I'll just say that right from the beginning, but no one's hurt, but there's a U-Haul truck in the middle of the tattoo parlor inside of this commercial property, right? Wow. So at that point, the client is giving me a call and suddenly insurance means a whole lot. And so, you know, that person's coverage was awesome. In fact, in the end, even though it wasn't their fault, right? A U-Haul truck came through, really it should be U-Haul's responsibility, but the U-Haul insurance policy was hard to find. The person's auto policy was very limited. So our policy paid out the way it was supposed to, walked them through the process of fixing their building, fixing that window, paying for the lost income associated with that tattoo shop having to be out of the building for a while and address the situation all together, finish it up. And then the insurance company turned around and went after those other people, which our client didn't even have to navigate. So I think that's the power of a quality insurance company who's walking you through stuff and helping you take care of a situation. That's a fantastic story. And and I think you kind of breezed over a couple of key items in a policy that, that one needs to look at. So I can't say enough Yes, price is important and you should always strive to get the best policy for the lowest amount of money, right? But that does not mean go to unadmitted carriers. It does not mean sacrifice coverage for costs because that's when it will cost you dearly if something happens. And and I know there are certain aspects of that policy or those policies that are less likely and some that are more likely, right? So before we go to the next story time, what are a couple of just just like a couple of key disciplines within a policy that one should be looking at to make sure that property is ac- accurately covered. So I think there's really four basic things you need to think about. And one of them really doesn't apply that much to our apartments anyway. So, but I'll say them out real quickly, right? So the first thing is coverage for the building itself. If something bad happens to your building, if there's a fire, like I'm dealing with uh, right now with a client who had a fire in one, well, there's fire in one building and then smoke damage in another building 
that's right next to that one. They want to know that their insurance policy is going to replace the damaged building. That's the most common thing we think of with insurance. And obviously that's important. We want to make sure we have coverage for that. And the rule of thumb there is make sure you have enough coverage to rebuild that property. I was just talking on another podcast with developers who were saying to build condos in Boston, downtown Boston, it's around $200 to $300 a square foot to rebuild a condo right now. You know, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm insuring buildings. I'm pushing investors to insure up to $150 a square foot saying, look, it's going to cost that much to rebuild this if we have to. And that might even be low where I'm seeing policies all the time that are insuring for $70 a square foot, $60 a square foot. That's not going to build half of a building. So the first one is building coverage. The second one isn't as big of a deal in apartments. It's called business personal property. This is the stuff inside. So if you pick up one of your apartment buildings, turn it upside down and shake it. What falls out? All that stuff is called business personal property. Don't do that, Chad. But you know, in general, if you could, the things that fell out would be business personal property. Well, most of that stuff is owned by your tenants. It's not yours. And that's why you have tenants have renter's insurance policies. Well, there's multiple reasons, but one is that if a fire happens, those tenants will naturally think your insurance is going to cover their stuff and it's just not true. So if you know they have a renter's policy, you'll know that their stuff is going to be handled. And so it's not going to be a real tough situation. I had another client recently had a fire in the house. All the tenants came to him and said, all of our stuff is gone are you going to help us replace it? And, you know, he was like, no, that's not my policy's responsibility. Do you have a renter's policy? And they didn't. So that didn't take care of it. Business personal property is number two, but it's not really a super big deal for apartment building owners because there's just not much of it that you have. If you've got an office, then you have some. Otherwise, you probably don't. The third one is called loss of income. And so if a building burns down and it's down for a whole year, let's say there's eight units in there. Well, you lost all that income, right? So that could be $100,000 of lost income over the course of a year while we're rebuilding that building. As long as it was a covered loss, your insurance policy is going to include your lost income in that payout. So not only are they going to pay for the building to be rebuilt, but they're going to cover your lost income, which obviously is super key when you have investors and for a passive investor to know there's not going to be a capital call because there's a fire because the insurance policy pulled through and took care of you like you wanted to. And then the fourth one is the most important insurance coverage of them all, and that is liability insurance. So this is coverage for if bad things happen to other people because of you or your buildings, more often your buildings in these kinds of scenario. So that could be anything from a claim I'm dealing with right now. A woman slipped and fell. It was a ten- She was a tenant. It was in the middle of the winter. She slipped and fell, broke her wrist. She went to the hospital, cost a couple thousand dollars, but a personal injury attorney stopped in her hospital room and said, I bet I can get you 20. So now we're dealing with that. Well, that investor is not dealing with that. And that, in fact, I think the investor called, uh, sent me an email a, a week ago and said, Hey, have you heard anything on this claim? We haven't talked for three or four months about it. I went and looked, it's pretty much all finished up. I told that investor what was going on. That's all they had to deal with in that situation, right? It's just the insurance company takes it and deals with it. That's a tiny little situation of maybe $10,000. Obviously in one of those fire situations, if unfortunately someone were to pass away or something like that, now you're really talking about big numbers and big money. And that's why liability covers coverage is so important. So that's the four coverages that you have to care about. There's tons of stuff in the weeds, but those are the four main things. You know, and I'd love the next story time to be on the general liability section because, so, and the funny thing is this is 
honestly one of the cheaper parts of a policy, right? And people skimp on it all the time. I don't understand because you think you don't need it. I mean, it is. Attorneys will come up with anything to get paid. And believe it or not, some states, you know, I'm thinking Georgia, particularly with some of the case precedent I've seen lately, they're siding with the resident on some of these bogus and absurd claims of how in the world, for example, I, and you may have told me this story, actually, I'm not sure. But when I was trying to insure an Atlanta property, not too long ago, there was, you know, the, the rates were pretty, pretty high for a moderate crime ridden area. It was not really, it was just inner city, right? It was not that bad of an area, but there had been case president recently in Georgia where sadly someone had driven by and, and performed drive-by shooting and a bullet went through a wall of a building built in 1960s through another wall and hit someone. I don't believe that person passed away. So I wouldn't be telling that story if they did, but they sued, right? Yeah. They sued the landlord because his walls couldn't stop a bullet. Add that to your DD list there, Chad. Tell me the last time you <laughs> tested bulletproofness on a building you bought, right? right? And they won, Jeremy, they won. You know, so anyway, I mean, I'd love to hear some of the stories that you've had from the general liability space. I was intrigued you had many. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, Florida is another example of a state where you're, you're seeing states really side with the other side from insurance companies. In fact, in Florida, personal injury attorneys, I don't know the exact details of how it works, but they get paid like triple what they would in other states if they win. So their capacity to make money off of litigation against insurance companies is higher in that particular state. And so there's all sorts of the idiosyncrasies of that. But I think the bottom line that all the stories around liability coverage, the emphasis is you don't have to deal with it. So in a claim recently, well, this was about a year ago, where there was that fire and someone did pass away. Obviously, as a, a property owner, you can't imagine the feeling of someone dying in your property. And, and in this case, it wasn't their fault. It wasn't like they hadn't wired the property, you know, they hadn't upgraded the wiring or anything like that. It was the tenant who had started the fire and then it just went really wrong. In this case, I'd say the liability scenario was pretty, there wasn't anyone trying to take advantage of anyone. Someone passed away in a situation, they were, you know, family was trying to get compensated there. But, you know, in those scenarios, the litigation, all the back and forth between lawyers, the ultimate payout and feeling that it was actually taken care of, the actual doing right of a family that has experienced something like that, all taken care of outside of that property owner's own personal experience. Did they have to engage with it in that scenario? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's engagement going on there, but did they have to pay for it or worry about the out-of-pocket out of expense? No, because they had the right amount of liability coverage. And I think that's a key point. You can't skim on liability coverage because a situation like that, you just don't know what number it's going to land on. So true. So true. And so we've talked about the big four you know, items of an insurance policy, if you care to repeat them real quick. Yeah, the uh, building coverage, the main building, business, personal property. If you pick up the building, turn it upside down, whatever falls out. Loss of income, the money you would have made from the building if it were performing. And finally, liability coverage for bad things that happen to other people because of your property. Sorry, I just didn't want to take the risk of failing the pop quiz on live on the air. So. But, <laughs> there you go. You've heard it twice. So the pop quiz should be easy at this point. But, but again, I've hired Jeremy to be my expert, so I don't have to look at that. But point being, there are also other we'll call it not minutia, but other important subcategories in a policy that I know we've had to pick on in the recent past, things like, you know, ordinance and law and 
I'm trying to think of another one. We've actually had to worry about flood protection and and the the mitigation thereof. Which in some cases, like if the, if if someone tells you your property is in a flood zone, that's not always a, a black and white definitive final answer. Sometimes that can be fixed. Have you heard about the Multifamily Investor Nation Summit coming up on January 20th? If you've never been, it's a three-day information-packed event for multifamily investors with over 1,000 attendees and over 50 speakers. Not only will you hear from experts about finding deals, raising capital, underwriting strategies, selecting markets, and so much more, but this year, our partners here at Quattro Capital are excited to be participating with three speakers at the event. Our amazing Kim Winland will be speaking on the often neglected subject of asset management, how to make the machine hum. While our most interesting man in real estate, Maurice Philogene, will be speaking on how to leave your corporate job for a freedom lifestyle. I personally will even be speaking on the topic of how to perform due diligence on multifamily assets before you purchase them and the not so common things to watch out for. Go to MFINsummit.com to grab your ticket and use promo code Quattro to get $100 off of your full access pass. Whether you are new to multifamily investing or a seasoned investor, you do not want to miss this event. Join Team Quattro at the Multifamily Investor Nation Summit. Visit MFINsummit.com, promo code Quattro. That's MFINsummit.com, promo code Quattro. What are some of the other, we'll call them auxiliary coverages that one should be aware of? You know, I mean, and think from the passive investor's view, when they're they're sitting there questioning a sponsor and whether they want to invest in a property or not, they've ascertained they like the person. They've ascertained, okay, the big four are good. What, what are some of the auxiliaries that maybe they should be looking for that might be special case on a given property? That's a great question. And there are a ton of auxiliaries. And auxiliaries not only as additional coverages like flood or earthquake coverage or ordinance and law, which is weird and I'd love to describe, but also exclusions, things that aren't covered or are covered at a lower amount. And so things like ACV coverage, which is a lesser coverage where they subtract the depreciation of the age of the building from the claim payout. So if you have hail damage to a roof and it's going to cost $10,000 to replace that building's roof, but the roof is 20 years old, they're going to say, well, the roof is 20 years old, so we're going to depreciate and the payout is now going to be $4,000. You'll have to come up with the additional six. Huh. So if you see ACV on a policy, that's just another way that you're going to feel burned in a claim situation where you're literally going to have depreciated value on something that you have to replace at true replacement value. You can't go out and buy a 20-year-old roof and put it on the top of your building. That just doesn't make sense. But if a policy is set up that way, you're going to be depreciated because of that. So I would say looking both at additional coverages but also sort of secret hidden things. And just to quickly say some of those, ACV is one. Uh, the coinsurance clause, the, the hated coinsurance penalty, if you underinsure a building. So lots of people want to underinsure a building because they want cheap insurance and they don't care if it actually performs or not. So why can't I, if I want to insure, if I've got a million dollar property and I want to insure it for only 500,000, because I don't think it's going to burn down. I, I doubt the entire building is ever going to go down, which is fair. Okay. I can hear that. Right. So I'm just going to insure for $500,000. I'll hope I don't have a total loss. Most things will be smaller than $500,000. Well, you have a claim. It's only a $40,000 claim. You say, I've got $500,000 coverage, it doesn't matter. But you have that co-insurance clause in the policy that you get penalized for how much you underinsure. So you insured for 50% of what you should have 
And so in that $40,000 claim, because of the co-insurance clause, you're only going to get 50% of what the actual situation was. So even in a small claim, a $40,000 claim, in that example, you lost $20,000 because you underinsured. So co-insurance clause is another way that you can get burned in a claim situation. Insurance companies and people who buy insurance policies have gone back and forth for hundreds of years, one side trying to figure out how to get a cheaper policy and still get the right coverage, and the other side saying, wait a minute, that's problematic we've got to fix the policy so that doesn't happen anymore. And so many of these things are because of that back and forth. So ACV coverage, co-insurance clause, you mentioned flood. That's a huge one. There's a lot of investors who, who won't invest in properties that are in flood zones. And you know, I think that's absolutely fair. And I understand it because I think there's a lot more risk there. I don't love investing in properties in flood zones. I want to know that the people who are investing really know what they're doing, absolutely have flood insurance and have that protected. So I think that's a big decision maker for passive investors. Earthquake is another example. There are some weird ones like mine subsidence. The town of Evansville, just south of where I'm at, has some abandoned mines in it. So when you're buying a property in that town, you do want to make sure that your buildings are not a above those abandoned mines, because if those abandoned mines were to collapse, your building suddenly structure has changed. There's no coverage for that unless you have mine subsidence coverage. So great example there of just different coverages that a smart insurance agent is going to be looking at and thinking about even if you aren't. So brought a couple of questions. I'm, I'm going to switch from host and play student for a second because I have two questions for you now. Yeah. First of them is on the building replacement cost and the co-insurance discussion. Yeah. So and if this is true, I'm curious if it's ever safe to do that because is the insurance company going to look at building costs at the time you originated the policy or are they going to look at it live as of the date of the claim? And the reason I ask that is let's say you let's say you you didn't quite skimp but you maybe went at 95 or 100% of today's building uh, building right. replacement costs, right? Well, let's say 5 years from now you have a claim and 5 years from now building costs is doubled and I have that co-insurance clause, do I now get hit with difference between the two numbers? Yes. So there is some balance. There's there's a couple of idi idiosyncrasies. Like all insurance, nothing is concrete. So there's idiosyncrasies. But so if you have a 100% co-insurance clause, which is something I try to never do, that means at the time of loss, they're going to assess the 100% replacement value of that building and figure everything based off of that. If you do, some insurance policies will waive the co-insurance clause altogether. That's great. It's not always possible, but that's awesome. What is more common is having an 80% co-insurance clause. So what that's saying is we don't get penalized as long as we're insured at at least 80% of the replacement cost. And so that gives us some space for change and things of that nature. So I like to have either a waived co-insurance clause, obviously that's the best. Although with companies that waive co-insurance, they're always wanting to have super high numbers. So there's a balance happening there. 80% co-insurance is generally fine as long as you're insuring to what you feel it would actually cost to rebuild the building. You know, I've never truly understood the co-insurance and how it's set up until we just had that conversation right there. So that's that's very good. All of your passive investors are like, great, now I understand co-insurance. If I ever become an active investor, I get it. Yes. Sorry, guys. <laughs> had to do that. Had to do that. No, I love it though. You know, those are just little things. If you're a passive investor, it's, it feels a little bit weird and I'm not sure I've ever done it as a passive investor, but you know, if you 
say, Hey, uh, I'd like to see the insurance policy. You know, some of the things in these conversations, if you're seeing the, the term ACV, if you're seeing hundred percent coinsurance, if you're seeing uh, building numbers that are way lower than say a hundred or $125 a square foot, then you can rest assured that this insurance policy is not going to take care of uh, your property in the way that it should. Now, whether you want to ask to see the insurance policy is really up to you as a passive investor, but those, you know, everything we're talking about here is clear red flags around whether a policy is actually going to take care of you. Yeah, that's fantastic. And guys, your sponsors should not be afraid to show you their insurance policy deck page. That, that is not a secret. They have to give it to a lot of other people along the way when you're closing a deal, including the lender. It really should be public knowledge if if asked. It's not something that they're going to willingly show typically because there, there's details people just don't usually want to see, right? But you should be presented with it if asked. And also recognize that in some cases it's black and white, but there's not like a, yes, this is a good policy. You know, this is a bad policy. There's like, there's, there's certain red flags that he just said that's like, yeah, you probably don't want that, but there's a, there's a the threshold from good to, or from like good risk mitigation to total risk mitigation. Right. And all of those are good. So your sponsor may have different risk thresholds, depending on the property, the location, like for example, I'm not worried. And I don't invest in Florida because of this. I'm not worried about wind and, and hurricane damage in Tennessee, right? Well, let's take that back. In in, uh, in Ohio, for example, right? We have tor- tornadoes in Tennessee, so I had to walk back on that. But but I'm not worried about hurricanes and typically in that area of the country. So I'm probably not going to go get hurricane coverage, but that, that's an extreme example, just something to think about. Yeah. And you're, you're really right about the market because I'll give another example. Uh, I'm dealing with a, a Hurricane Ida claim right now in uh, Louisiana, right on the coast, a property that was uh, picked up as a heavy lift, high vacancy, very old building. And over the course of the first year, the plan was and still is to renovate and uh, lift this thing up. To get an insurance policy for a 60% vacant, mostly some totally empty buildings, apartment complex right on the coast of Louisiana at all is a tough thing to do. So the coverage in that policy is not as good as one that I can get Indianapolis, Indiana or Cincinnati, Ohio. There's simply some things you have to sacrifice when it comes to coverage, coverage, especially if you're in a high risk area. That makes sense. And another final nugget, then we'll get to the the closing remarks here, but we're doing a project in, in Augusta, Georgia, for example, that is like that. It is a very heavy lift, multiple vacant buildings, it's going to be great, right? But we actually were asked to carry a builder's risk policy in addition to that, because that's borderline a construction project. So different levels of, of those value add projects might come with some other requirements to fill that gap, I think, you know. Yeah, insurance on heavy lifts, lift apartments is is a, a is, is a skill. It's sort of like being a batter that comes up fourth in a professional team. The Red Sox I walked watched last night. I don't know who the cleanup batter is, but anyway, you know, you really have to have a skill to be able to find the right companies, find the right price, and still get quality coverage on a hundred and fifty or two hundred unit apartment complex. That's a real heavy lift. Fantastic. Well, Jeremy, this has been a fantastic educational episode, even for me who's been originating policies for a while with you and other and others. Yeah, I learn something every time I talk with you. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Before we let you get off the show, though, you have to answer a couple of questions in what we call the Quattro Trio, three questions we like to ask every guest on the show. So Jeremy, what is your superpower as it relates to this industry? You know, I think it's explaining, you know, the, the capacity to explain things simply. I love this industry. I love the people in it. This That's what it really attracted me as every single person 
person I met in meetups or whatever had like a different backstory, had grown up with some different passion and somehow it ended up in real estate. And so I, I really love this industry and I love being able to simplify just one small part of the process and be on the, on the team to be able to do that. So I think the, and, and hopefully I've succeeded at that in this conversation, but the capacity to explain things as simply as possible, I think is my superpower. Making smart insurance simple. I love it. All right. Well, tell me some dirt, Jeremy. What is your biggest failure to date and what did it teach you? Oh, it's so stereotypical what I'm about to say. My biggest failure is not saying no. And I feel like I fail on this every single day. So it's just like knowing who I am, knowing what I do. I only do commercial real estate insurance, which I think is really good for me. And it's right in this space. But there's there's so many different folks asking for insurance that are looking for that cheapest price that don't care about coverage, that don't care about having me on their team and on the journey with them who aren't interested in, in that kind of thing. And it's so hard to say no. And I feel like that's my biggest failure. Unfortunately, that failure is, is, is one that happens a fair amount. I'm doing a better job of saying no and finding those ideal clients that really are the ones I want to work with. I actually love and respect that you do that. And I think in our first conversation, you said, if this is what you're looking for, I'm not your guy, right? And we were looking for someone to help us accurately and you know, most cost-effectively, but accurately accurately protect our assets, not just give us cut rate insurance. And you actually pointed out some holes in our existing policies that we've since rectified. So we appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Well, one of the four quattro pillars is philanthropy. Tell us about a philanthropic cause that you are involved in and what our listeners can promote on your behalf. I love it. So every insurance policy that gets written with Shine Insurance, a percentage of that premium goes to our program called the Giving Back Program. And we have three community groups. We focused on homelessness specifically as the topic that we're trying to address. And so two groups in Bloomington, Indiana, in the town that I live in, one is called Beacon, which is they have a bunch of things they do around homelessness, but you know they have shelters and uh, community dinners and, and just a whole lot of things going on there. And then the other is a space a shelter for families in particular. It's called New Hope. And this is a shelter for families who they're actually building right now through donations, of course, completely, I think a 4,000 square foot new building that's been really fun to, to go up. So those two organizations are the two that we have. And then we have a site, we love animals. So we stretched a little bit this year. The Monroe County Humane Association also receives a fair amount of, of money from our clients, each policy. So those are, those are the three you might have asked for one, but the, the one overarching thing is our giving back program. And those are the three organizations that receive that. I love it. I love it. All three are great. And folks, as usual, those organizations will be in the show notes. So feel free to scroll down if you're driving and you can find a way to support on behalf of Jeremy Goodrich and Shine Insurance. All right, Jeremy. And it looks like you actually have a free gift here that will help explain the big four pillars of insurance that you were speaking of. What is that and where can we find it? So at shineinsurance.com, you can find you know how to connect with us. And in the commercial real estate section, we have a complete guide to commercial real estate. So a lot of the conversation we've had here dug into a little bit deeper and an overview. All of our clients get what's called a portfolio overview, which is just a really clear overview that usually is accompanied by a video where I explain what's going on with this particular asset, this particular portfolio. So I give you that overview as well that you can use for yourself no matter where you get your insurance. Fantastic. And those are great, by the way, for those of you who are originating or acquiring properties and getting loans on them. Whenever I get a policy back from Jeremy, I get a, a Loom video with him screen sharing on the comparison 
and showing me exactly what's what, why he made what decisions, where we might be, you know, deficient because of the property, the area, and you know what things to look for. So it's, it's just a fantastic way to where I don't have to be the expert in insurance. I can trust my expert to convey the the main ideas to me. So that that is a unique bit for Shine Insurance that I will just testify on there. I love the way you said that because that really is the key. You shouldn't have to be the expert. Yes, exactly. I, I remember dark days of making my own comparison spreadsheets, trying to compare different policies. And it was, uh, I don't want to go back to those days. So fantastic. Well, folks, this has been an amazing episode, educational episode. I really hope that you have taken as much from this as I have. Jeremy, I think you alluded to this already, but where is the best place for our listeners to get in touch with you, whether it be just to say hello, to support a philanthropy, or to learn about commercial insurance and originated policy? Absolutely. Shineinsurance.com is the main place to connect with us. If you'd like to listen to our podcast, it's reiclarity.com, all about real estate investing. And then our YouTube channel is doing all right. We've got about 14,000 subscribers, things all about real estate investing and certainly commercial real estate insurance. Fantastic. All right, Real Estate Runway family, this has been another episode of the Real Estate Runway podcast for now, over and out. How is your company managing your capital raising process? Syndication Pro is the number one solution to help real estate syndicators and fund managers automate fundraising, investor relations, and reporting. Syndication Pro is a solution that is trusted by hundreds of firms, large and small, with billions being managed within the platform. Here at Quattro Capital, we have seen a drastic improvement in our ability to provide better customer support to our investors, a co-sponsor module to our alliance partners when partnering on new acquisitions, ACH distributions, an SEC compliance CRM, and even the ability to take soft reservations on upcoming projects. Look for the link in the show notes to try Syndication Pro risk-free for seven days. We hope this episode was insightful and brought value to your day. If so, please be awesome and leave us a five-star review. Find out how Team Quattro can help you at thequattroway.com. Until next time, this is the Real Estate Runway Podcast.